Hello and welcome to Access Chat. No Antonio today. He's in the air on his way back from another conference. Um, but we have got Deborah and we have got Meryl Evans. And Meryl, it's great to have you with us. I mean, we see you all over social media. You've been part of our online community for a long time. And also we, uh, we share someone in common um, because your husband works for the same company. I do. Um, and he's chosen to be an accessibility champion. So we'll, we'll, we'll leave him be for now. But, but, but Meryl, tell us or tell our audience about yourself and how you came to be working in accessibility and doing your advocacy work. Howdy, this is Meryl speaking. So I have Corey here about shoulder Lance Brown, and I'm wearing glasses that are reflecting the screens in front of me because there's just no messing with things to hide the screen. And I am wearing a black shirt. You can't see what it says, but it says progress over perfection with the, with the O having the accessibility icon. That is my mantra these days. So many people say all or nothing when it comes to accessibility. So this shirt, this message is about getting started, small steps, celebrating every step. Rather than trying to go for everything, when you try to tell people to, go, to do everything, they get analysis paralysis. They can't. They freeze. They're like, I don't know where to start. So that's why progress over perfection is so important. I am an accessibility marketer and consultant and professional speaker. I often speak about um, diversity, equity, inclusion, with the focus on people with disabilities and accessibility, because so many DEI programs overlook people with disabilities. They're mostly focused on racial equity, and I support that wholeheartedly. And some do have LGBTQ+, and I support that as well, of course, but a lot of them don't think about people with disabilities, and we need to change that because there are so many people out there that have so much talent and a lot to offer companies that they need to bring them in and make them part of the processes. And I have been speaking at a lot of events. Most recently, I did a TEDx talk, and the video is not available yet, but hopefully soon. And 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 you've been doing online marketing just generally, right? As an online marketeer, and 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 you've turned those online marketing skills towards disability advocacy, and now you work with um, one of our former Access Chat multiple time guests, Thomas Logan, right? So I know you've been doing work with Thomas. Um, you know, so he's very well known, does, has been doing a lot of good work. So how did you decide to make the switch from doing online marketing to utilising those skills to decide this is what I want to do? I want to make a difference and make it my job. It goes back to 2019. Mm -hmm. That was the tipping point. 
2019, I started, Dr. Miller speaking, by the way, I started making videos about captioning, about high quality, accessible captioning, how to do it and how to do it well. And those videos caught the attention of Nobility, which is a nonprofit accessibility organization in my home state of Texas. I'm in Plano, Texas, by the way, which is right by Dallas. And Nobility is in Austin, which is about three and a half hours from where I am. And by the way, you can drive in Texas for 10 hours and still be in Texas. That's how big it is. (laughs) Wow. Anyway. So they invited me to do a luncheon presentation on captioning. And when I, that was my, it's an accessibility conference. So it was my very first accessibility conference. And while I was there, I met a few people and I was amazed. I felt at home. I felt like I found my people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to be in accessibility somehow. I'm not sure how, but I want to be in it. So I went home and um, I just kept, I kept it in the back of my mind while I kept on working, doing online marketing, as you said, Neil. Then I got invited to speak at another event because someone saw me at Nobility Conference. I said you. And I just kept getting more and more invitations. It's just kind of a domino effect. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Thomas Logan. He has seen me on LinkedIn. He saw my article, my post on LinkedIn and just started paying attention. And it was because of the writing that I did there, he brought me on board as a marketer. So I was like, this works perfectly. I'm using my marketing skills but I'm using it in the accessibility company. And that was perfect. It was the perfect bridge to go from marketing into accessibility. And so Thomas and I have been working for a while. And then another accessibility-related company also brought me on. Technically, I am a freelancer, so I am not full-time with anyone. Yes. So that's why multiple companies, but they're not competitors. I always make sure of that. But anyway. So I kept I kept on writing, I kept on speaking, I got some amazing speaking engagement, like ID24, you Content Marketing World, I was able to bring the accessibility message to a non-accessibility-related conference, a few of them. I am trying to reach people in conferences that are not related to accessibility because they need to hear the message more than anybody else. Anyway, so eventually I decided I wanted to study for the IAAP certification. <laughs> don't make me don't make me ask figure out what I stand for. I'm always it's quite a mouthful, but the certification I got is C P A C C. Basically, I am certified in professional accessibility as poor competency. <laughs> so the reason I did that is because, first of all, I'm passionate about it. I, don't, I am not just passionate about accessibility for deaf people. I'm passionate about accessibility for everybody. And besides, accessibility is for 
everyone, not just people with disabilities, because there are so many situations and opportunities that cause someone who may not have a disability to end up using something for accessibility. For example, um, so I'm looking at my phone, I step outside, all of a sudden I can't see anything on my phone. It's black. I need to adjust the lighting to be able to see it. So little situations like that happen every single day. All of us are affected by cognitive impairment. A lot of us get hit, not just with people with disabilities, but also things that cause those impairments. For example, if when I went traveling to California recently, I slept two, three, four hours, two nights, which is unlike me. You can bet my cognitive function was not at its best. So the last thing I need to be doing is reading complicated articles and papers because I would not be able to comprehend it. So cognitive impairment happens every day when you don't sleep well, when you're stressed out, when you don't eat or take care of yourself. So it can happen to anyone, which is why all content should be written in plain language. Even the most educated people want content in plain language. I've read a study that showed the more educated someone is, the more, the greater the preference for plain language. So it's not just for people with cognitive disabilities, it's for everyone. Right, right. Meryl, I know I met you a long time before 2019. And you have been coming in and out of the access chat conversations and, and really, and I loved what you just said about plain language, because that was really what you were focused on. And I know that um, you and I were going back and forth. And uh, so even though you weren't in the field, it felt like you were part of the field. So I'm really glad that you really stepped into the field. And we, of course, do know no ability. We've had them on Access Chat multiple times. We, you know, we love them. Well, we've been doing what Access Chat, I think, 11 years. Is it 11? Oh, you've yeah. no, Did I get it right? Yeah. No, no <laughs> but we've been doing, we're, we're, we're in. We're Where are we? Yeah. Before you correct me, make sure I'm, make sure that I'm not right. Yeah, no, no. I well, I, I remember it was <laughs> when I moved to the south coast that we started. So it's, we're in our eighth year. So it's been right. a long time, right? We're in the, our eighth year. Oh, I boy, I've been really saying that wrong. I've got us like <laughs> fifty years. We've been doing exit. Sorry. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I might have aged that much in that time. Right. Well, and as Merle says, we all have cognitive issues. I mean, I right now, Merle asked me how I was doing with, you know, my husband passing in March, and it is definitely affecting me cognitively still, definitely. And I try so hard for it not to, but it's definitely still affecting me cognitively and and my children. You know, so it, it's interesting. I agree. And I was just having this conversation about we're, we're working on this project in the background. And somebody said, well, should you split disability inclusion from accessibility? And I said, yes, but understand you can't. Well, let me say why now. I know with disability inclusion, you can't have true disability inclusion if you don't have accessibility, period. Um, you cannot include Merrill if you're not going to bother to make sure that she can participate with captions and 
But at the same time, as you also said, and you'll agree with this, Neil, accessibility is not just for people with disabilities. It is actually for all human beings that want to use technology. And yes, we have to have it as community people with disabilities, but we all need accessibility. People just don't realize how bad they need accessibility. So I had just said for this one project we're doing, you can be you can focus on accessibility and not always think it's just for the community of people with disabilities because it's not. It's for all of us humans. But you can't really have disability inclusion if you don't have accessibility because we are too reliant on technology, information, and communication. So that's where I'm going with it, uh, Neil. I'll, but, I'll, I'll unraise my eyebrows now. Thank then. you. Thank you. So I, I knew because, uh, yeah, it's it's an inter just on this, and you'll understand later when this other project comes out, mm. but it's, I just think it's so important for the community to join the conversations. And so yesterday I was speaking to, um, wow, I don't know if y'all know Dan Dame of Microsoft Dave, in Canada. Dave, Dave. Yes. Oh my gosh, this man is brilliant. Wow. So, and he has cerebral palsy, but he was always working in agile. He didn't want to work in the accessibility field because that's where people with disabilities work. And I said to him, but just think about it. Just think about that statement. Well, that's where people with disabilities are working now in accessibility. Yay! At least they're not only working in behind the scenes doing dishes and the Walmart greeters. So that's yay. But at the same time, accessibility is for everybody. But this is the question I'm going to finally get to, Meryl. Um, but he was hesitant to go into accessibility. And when Microsoft came courting him and others, he was hesitant because he didn't want to be labeled, which was fascinating. And the position he holds, he has hundreds and hundreds of people that report to him. And one day he asked them how it felt to be reporting to a man with disabilities. And I was like, oh, gosh, I love these conversations. So we see leaders like you, Merle, that has been doing, uh, you say 2019, I disagree with her. You have been adding value in this conversation for a long time, but you hesitated to come in. Is there, is there something, because it's funny, Jenison had the same conversation with me years ago at IEEE. And he's like, well, you know, of course they want me to go in accessibility, but I want to be known for more than that. Thank God he came into accessibility. So I just, uh, that's something that I'm seeing, but I'm curious about that, Merle. If you're understanding the, you know, should you join? I think you should. But at the same time, we can do more than accessibility. So anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I agree, Deborah, to the mirror speaking. Yeah, um, I tell people all the time, um, don't um, accessibility supporters, urgent accessibility supporters who don't have disability. And they would make statements like, um, you know, I don't have a disability and I worry about working in accessibility because it should be for people, it should be for people with disabilities to be taken charge of. But guess what? Not everybody with a disability wants to do that. They might want to be engineers. They might want to be scientists or lawyers. I mean, just because we have the disability doesn't mean we should go into it. But you're right. I'm grateful that people like Jonathan are in accessibility. But if he didn't want to be in it, that would have been okay too. Because we have talent that could be used everywhere. 
I agree. What's important is for company to hire people with disabilities so they have an internal brain truck that they can always go to anytime to talk about their product. I mean, they can do their regular job, whether it's, it's programmer or something else, but they were also there as consultant to their own company. She said, this is not working. This doesn't work with my screen reader or whatever. So you want to have multiple people with disabilities. It's so important. One person cannot represent an entire disability. If a company comes in and pays me to do user, user testing or whatever, if, if they just hire me and nobody else, their product in trouble because mm-hmm. I cannot represent the entire deaf and hard of hearing community. Far from it. You ask 10 deaf people who are deaf a question, you're going to probably get five different answers. I mean, the spectrum of, of disability is huge. So, of course, you can't begin to interview hundreds and hundreds of people. Usually, if you get five to ten people, that should help but make sure that there's a diversity in them. For example, you don't want to bring deaf people who speak and don't know sign language. That would not be a good idea. You want to have some signers. You want to have them who do both. Mm-hmm. You want to mix it up. You want to have them that were born deaf or became deaf later. There's so many possibilities. So... Um, I've, I've worked on some research projects where we brought in 50 to 100 people with different disabilities, and I always make sure there was a variety. And my client would say, why don't you contact the organization and get some people, see so anybody would like to come in and be a, a tester. And I said, but the problem with that organization is they're single-focused. They're, they're focused on a specific thing, for example, there are deaf organizations that are mainly raw people. You won't find signals in that organization, for example. And then there might be another one, but it's a focus on signals. So a lot of times when people join an organization, they tend to have too much in common. And you want to ensure you're getting a variety. So that's really important. Yeah. So uh, I, I agree. There's huge diversity even within disability. I think that every organization ought to be hiring more people with disabilities anyway, where I do have a note of caution around using your employees as your testers is actually compensate them or give them time off because you're putting an extra load on people that are probably already working harder than the average employee just to be able to do their day job. So if, if you expect your employee resource group to be your unpaid testing tool uh, for your products, you're taking advantage of them. And they're going to quit. Yeah. And we have seen that happen. Yeah. So, so I think it's, it's, it's great that you're uh, that to have an ERG that can give really honest feedback, and and you know I actually you know, quite enjoy the roastings that I get from from some of my colleagues about how we could improve things because 
that's their role. But at the same time, we can't expect them to be doing what is our responsibility, which is to organize testing and product development and everything else. That's the responsibility of the, the product development teams and the project managers and so on. It's my responsibility to hopefully create the environment and the policies and the you know the culture in which that happens. I agree, Neil. That is Neil. So of course, I don't mean just just the use them to testing it. They need to be fairly compensated. Well, if it's part of the work, then it needs to be balanced. Obviously, it shouldn't be on top of the already first schedule. So there's a lot of things ways to go about it. There's no one perfect way. Just like there's no one perfect way to implement accessibility into an organization. Because you have to think about organizational structure. And I had a very interesting conversation with Larry Goldberg, who's one of the most amazing accessibility influencers leaders. And the, the, one of the questions I asked him was, have you, you've worked for multiple companies in accessibility. Have you noticed that a specific organi- organization chart or structure works better than others? And he said, no. And I agree with him because I've interviewed multiple enterprises about accessibility and they all do it differently and they're all successful. So there's no magic formula in how you do your work job. But what is key is that you are training employees and that you are, oh shoot, my brain is freezing, of course, now of all time. Um, I, I share three things that I have seen in the most successful company and my brain is flicking out on me. And I was just <laughs> working on that before I call. Don't worry, because that's a perfect example of us having cognitive impairments. My yes. short-term memory is atrocious. So, yes. uh, and it's recall, word recall. And I don't know what it is, but whenever my wife forgets something, I forget the word too. <laughs> uh, like, what is the thing? <laughs> uh, the thing, the, the um, thing, thingy thing. And, and then as soon as she's gone away, the word just pops back. Into <laughs> the <language. laughs> there we go. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Neil. No, go for it. You don't want the answer to that question. Okay, so the three things the most successful companies have in common, first of all, executive leadership champion accessibility and emphasizes that people with disabilities are in a critical component of a company DEI. Second, they consider accessibility everyone's responsibility, and we enforce that with training. And third, accessibility is baked into the company culture, so they're always thinking about it. I mean, the human resources, they make sure the job application is accessible. They make sure that the candidates have choices in how they want to communicate. I mean, for example, I've read read multiple stories about people who have autism, and they struggle. Some, not all of them, I never say that, but a few of them have said they struggle with job interviews. 
yet they are brilliant at what they do. So the hiring process has to change so you can get these brilliant minds into your company. And not everyone is good at interviewing. And I and I, I was on a team, and we all participated in the job interviews. And one guy was amazing. He gave a great interview. He was a terrible employee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if the reverse happened, somebody could be a bad interview and one of your best employees mm-hmm. ever. And I read a story about a deaf man. Okay, first of all, looking for a job is really hard. It is, it can make you um, lower your self-esteem and it's worse if you don't even have a job in the first place. Mm-hmm. So those, job hunting is hard. But a deaf man, his problem was what He said he kept running into job application requiring the phone number field. He did not have a phone number. Now, now, I have a phone number. I'm deaf. I cannot talk on the phone. I can't hear to talk on the phone. So, yes, I have a phone number. I use it for texting. I use it to check my email. I, You know, I have a lot of options. And I have other phone numbers that I got free as part of a captioning service, a relay service, that kind of thing. But that's besides the point of him, whether he should have a number or not. The owner should not be on him. They should be, that's why, that's my second tagline, my second mission, is to encourage everybody to always, always have a second way to communicate or contact people. So, so an airline business, when I went to fill out my form for my next flight, it had a required field for contact, definitely. But guess what? They gave me a choice of calling, texting, or emailing. Three options. So I want to encourage our application, our form, our communication to be always have at least two modern options. Because fax machines don't count anymore, y'all. And neither do mailing addresses. Mail, mail. How about TTY? <laughs> Can that yes, yes. <laughs> I haven't. I got rid of my TTY a long time ago because I use my phone. I use the internet. I use my caption phone. Whatever. But anyway, so and this should happen in person too. I thought a beautiful thing in a TV show recently. They have a character who's deaf. And a character who was speaking who was not deaf. They were sitting in a bar. It was very loud. Nobody could hear anybody. They were texting each other and they were sitting right next to each other. So they communicated through texting, through gestures, and through mouthing, you know, just speaking but without the voice. It was beautiful because it was not awkward. You know, Everybody thinks texting no big deal. But when you say texting and you're standing by each other, oh, that's weird. But it shouldn't be. We need to make things, we need to expand our way of thinking when it comes to communication and not defaulting 
to all the audio is speaking every time. Because not everyone wants to speak and not everyone wants to type on the phone. Yeah. So we have to think every day, every day there's a region how to communicate. Just like um, this is a story I like to tell. So when I first had, I had to get COVID testing for the first time ever. And this was 18 months after COVID first came out. So the kind of testing I needed required me to go in the drive-thru. So I've lived by the pharmacy for 20 plus years. I have never used the drive-thru. And you can figure out why. So uh, I got a, a text message from the pharmacy with a captioned video explaining the testing process. I think, wonderful, I'm, no problem. I'm, I know what to do, I'm gonna go and I've got it covered, no problem. And then my spouse say, I'm going with you. And I said, why? I've got the, I got the captioned video, I know what to do, I'll be fine. I'm going with you. <laughs> fine. And so we went, and I was in the driver's seat because I was going to do the test. And we drove up to the window. It was reflecting. So I couldn't, just like my glasses are reflecting my screen. You can't see my eyes. Uh, it was the same thing. I could not see inside. All I could see was the reflection. So I couldn't see whoever was inside. She had a mask on. And she talked to me through a speaker. Wow. It was very inaccessible to me. So I got, eventually I got the test. And I was sitting there. My husband was talking to her about picking up the medication. And I'm sitting there. I already took the test. But I was sitting with the Q-tip and the vial in my hand. And it was not obvious what to do. And I was getting exasperated. They were talking. I'm sitting here holding a youth test. Yeah. I was like, come on. And then finally, she, I looked, I was able to see her and she gestured what to do. I finished the test. And so it would have been so much easier if they had a second way of communicating. It could be text messaging or, or some other option. But anyway, I shared my experience. And guess what? That same process was inaccessible to two other people with two different disabilities. Neither one of them was deaf. One of them was blind. He could not make his appointment online without help. And there's a HIPAA violation to have to ask somebody to help him. And then the other person had a mobility disability. The pharmacy told her she needed to come inside. She wanted the opposite. She wanted to go in the drive-thru. I didn't. So one plus this, it's inaccessible to three different people with three different disabilities. So we have to think about multiple ways of communicating and input. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, you bring up it's just some really good points. But it, you know, it's like we don't understand each other. Right. And, and and not only do we expect um, our pharmacies to be fully accessible and, and here in the United States, if you're not fully accessible, we're going to sue you. We're happily going to sue you. And other countries don't have that as much, but we would really rather 
you just make things accessible because it really is going to benefit all of us. But at the same time, Merle, I also think we as the community have a real obligation to also continue to change and build and teach like what you're doing. For example, and I'm not going to name names because some people might know this, but I know a woman that is deaf. um, She has cochlear implants and she is a lip reader. She does not sign. And she's done some really powerful things in her career. Really? Right. That's what, well, you are always, I know. (laughs) But it's not you. I'm playing and I don't sign. Well, that's funny. Right. Okay. And she doesn't sign. But what happened was she was doing something really, really helpful for the community. And so one day, one of her friends was in a big cafeteria and a couple of women were signing at another table. The problem with signing that if you can read signing, you can't necessarily have a private conversation because people can see it. So this woman could see this conversation and she was reading the conversation inappropriately, uh, snooping on somebody else's conversation. Yeah. Like we've all, I've done that a few times in a restaurant, but regardless, she heard them saying, Oh, did you hear about this woman and what she's doing? And um, it's really good for us. And the other woman um, signed back and said, yeah, but she doesn't sign. So I just can't support her. I just can't support her work because she doesn't sign. Now, when we hear conversations like that, it freaks everybody out because it's like, what, what do you mean? So what? So, so I think our community also has to be more thoughtful about that. Why would you not support a woman that is also deaf, that just communicates differently from you for goodness sake? But so I just want to sort of call a little BS on our community as well, because we also have an obligation to support each other. And I don't think we're doing a good job with it. I think we're backbiting, we're siloing, we're jumping on each other's. And I'm not just talking about deaf community, I'm talking about the entire community. And then also some of something else you said in when in my response to these really talented individuals like you and Jennison and Dan hesitating to not wanting to be labeled into something. You know, I want to add value, but I don't want to just be known because I had a disability. Thank goodness y'all said, no, no, no. Okay. I obviously I need to add value here. But at the same time, you made a comment of people saying, well, I mean, I don't have a disability, but so it's almost like everybody is apologizing for being in the community. I'm not good enough because I don't have a disability or no, no, no. I have a disability because I'm neurodiverse. I'm ADHD, but you weren't left out of the workforce. So I was just wondering if you might want to comment on some of that ridiculous messiness. (laughs) Amazing timing with that, Deborah, Susan Mill. So I happened to write a post on LinkedIn yesterday, kind of along those lines. I have... I lived in Washington, D.C. a long time ago, so that's the home of one of the most famous universities of the deaf, and that's Gallaudet. And so I met a lot of deaf people, and I also ran into what you're describing, being chunned because I speak or wear a bionic ear. Now, I think not, not everybody does that. I want to note that. And I have some friends that I'm so grateful for who are signers and don't speak. And we accept each other for who we are in our communication choices. We don't judge each other for that. And it's always felt me that 
people will judge others based on their communication choices and whether they have a hearing aid or a cochlear implant. That's almost equivalent to judging someone for the color of their skin. Right, right. Even though communication choices can be changed, you know, I can do that tomorrow. I'm not going to speak. I'm going to sign and finally join the deaf community. But we should be looking at the people for the what's in our heart, their personalities, not what is on the exterior. And I've been working really hard to break that. And we have so much division as it is. The half division within our own group just exacerbates that. And yesterday's post was about an article I read by Andrew Perrine, excellent writer. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about disability activism is hard. And one of the reasons is because we have too many agendas, mm-hmm. too, too many missions. For example, my mission could be spread captioning all around the world. Mm-hmm. The next person's mission might be get that language into our school. And yet we're both deaf, but we have different goals. So that's just two examples. I can give many more examples of how deaf people can be focused on different missions and advocacy. So healthcare advocacy, advocating for affordable healthcare and accessible healthcare. Mm -hmm. So that's another one. So those that we could be advocating for, and we all tend to be focused on one or two things. So, accessibility on caption. I don't focus on just caption. I focus on all accessibility. Right. But I recently started a petition to an app store to please identify apps that have captioned in them. But I also want them to make it easy to filter for rating, filter for other accessibility-related things. But I decided to start more with caption. I, I was afraid if I asked for the for everything, nothing would get done. It would not get signed. So I to start more. So we have many people from the accessibility world speaking in Congress. I know somebody who spoke this week. And I know somebody else who spoke a couple of months ago. They're both people with disabilities, but they talk about very different things. Of course. And That's- we have too many silos. Um, yeah, we, we, uh, do. Sorry, we do. Correct, we do. We've, we've run out of time, and I oh. didn't want to stop you full flow like this. <laughs> but um, I agree with you. We have way too many silos, and we what we tend to do is focus on single issues rather than community why we set up Access Chat, we're a pan-disability community. We will always be that way. Absolutely progress over perfection. Look forward to you joining us for the Twitter chat. It's been great talking with you. need to thank my clear text who have been not only captioning all of our videos, but been providing the live captions to make this interview possible. So thank you, my clear text. Thank you, Meryl. See you online.